and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shenick and King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf Price. Today, we're talking with Jeff Gleason, senior counsel in our Buffalo office, practicing in the business department. Jeff joined the firm in 2020 after working in-house for a very large hospitality company. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. I think we have a lot to talk about, which is great. So you're a business attorney and you help clients in a variety of transactions from leasing to securities, spinoff and and much more. So we could talk about all of that. But today I'd like to focus the bulk of our conversation on online sports betting in New York, because this is very current happening in real time, I think, and new to New York. So does that work for you? Yeah, although, you know, anything I say could be completely moot in two months, so. You know, it's kind of funny. Sure. these things as they happen and move along, like, well, Absolutely. <laughs> well, then you just have to come back, Jeff. That's what that means. All right. Well, thanks so much. And before we get too far into legal issues and sort of what's ahead with the online sports betting in New York, could you please talk a little bit about your background? Where'd you go to law school or undergrad? Sure. I went to undergrad at the University of South Carolina after graduating from there. I uh, spent a year just working, uh, you know, paying off what loans I did have for undergrad and then embarked on law school at the University of Buffalo. After graduating from UB, I went and started my career in Boston uh, at a large international firm there and then eventually made my way back to Buffalo as had always been my plan and kind of been working here ever since and in a variety of different roles. So it's, it's been fun. That's great. I did the same sort of boomerang, except it was New York City, back to the area. So are you from Buffalo originally? Originally from Buffalo. My childhood is marred by moving around too much. I've <laughs> lived in, in, in Buffalo, Fredonia, Utica, Syracuse. So I grew up in Utica. This is Oh, really? It always comes back to Utica on the podcast. <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I went to Whitesboro Middle School and then Notre Dame High School for two years. Well, all right. So you moved around a bit, but then you picked Buffalo as home, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Place you wanted to go back to. That's great. So any pandemic hobbies or binge watching or anything? This has been the common question for everyone since we've had such a crazy year. Or are you just excited to be outside again and out and about? I mean, you know, my my hobbies didn't change too much. I've always loved cooking. Although, you know, during the pandemic, I went and bought a new smoker. So I've done a lot more of smoking various meats at home. And then I, I started baking. I'm, I'm not a big sweets person, but I kind of like the science behind baking. I was going to ask you if that's what it was, because it is a big difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And so I, I took up baking. I've been making macaron and cake pops and cakes. My, my wife is both happy and, and mad at me for making so many. I, I agree with her probably on both of <laughs> those. I the same, but macarons, that, those are tough. I have not mastered. I'll tell you, my shells are almost always hollow still. So I'm working on that. That's great. Appreciate that background. I think it's important for listeners to know a little bit about the lawyers and the guests before we get into the main topic. So thanks so much. Absolutely. So I said we were going to talk about online sports betting in New York. Business law is a broad topic, and I think it would be helpful to hear a bit more about your work and the type of work the practice does here at Bond. So will you tell us a little bit about your practice overall and some of the work that you do? Sure. So, you know, both here at Bond and before I went in-house, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm a transactional attorney. I've done a lot of M&A, represented mostly throughout my career, private equity companies doing investments or buyouts of businesses. You know, here at Bond, it's more of the operational companies that we represent. So I represent those companies in transactions, either 
selling, buying, spinning off divisions, and then also, you know, a lot of general business counseling on employment issues or on non-disclosure confidentiality issues, uh, you know, kind of any of the various things that come up when you're running a business. I've also done a lot of work with startups or venture capital stage companies, and they need a whole suite of services across all different different avenues. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I I actually learned the word tranche, like tranche of documents from you, transactional lawyers, (laughs) transactions and like massive amount of documents coming in. So did you do transactional work then right out of law school? Yeah. When I went to Boston, it was straight into the private equity transactional world. Although my very first day of practicing law was the day that Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy. So very interesting start to my career in the transactional world. That's very interesting start, though. Everything sort of collapsing in on itself. Yeah. So that's a day you won't forget then. That's Absolutely not. No, no, no. But as relevant to this discussion, I made a bet that the transactional uh, legal world would come back and, and it did. It I think your bet paid off. I did. That paid off. That's good. So what drew you to transactional work? Because law schools often focus on the litigation side, it feels like, right? And, and people feel that that's more where maybe the curriculum moves people. So what made, what drew you to the transactional work? There was a couple different things. As a young college student, I really wanted to be a sports agent. And that field is one, both very tough to enter into. And uh, when I was in law school, I actually had the chance to speak with a sports agent and the things that he told me about that practice uh, directed me away from. And so, but the thing that I like about transactional work is one, it's all about compromise and finding a way for both sides to win. To me, I wanted to be a little bit more constructive with my practice and try to kind of create new things, create new ways of doing business and doing transactions, which you do kind of have the chance. In a litigation world, a lot of it is driven by the rules and civil procedure and case law and things like that. In transactional work, we get to kind of build it on our own. Yeah. With uh, with very minimal restrictions. You're right. There is something more where everyone's sort of working to get this deal done, but might be contentious in the middle there's an outcome that both sides want. Right, exactly. Transactional. That, yeah, makes perfect sense. All right, so gaming in New York State, it's been sort of evolving over the last, say, eight to 10 years or so. And most of us spent a good portion of our lives who grew up in New York with sports betting being illegal in New York, right? It wasn't something that folks could do. So when did New York allow sports betting first? So you mentioned kind of we, we grew up with New York not allowing sports betting. That's kind of a broader trend across the country for a long time. And well, I guess since 1992, there had been a law in effect called the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA. And that basically prohibited sports betting anywhere where it wasn't currently conducted, which was, you know, Las Vegas. Atlantic City wasn't doing sports betting at that time. They were oh, given okay. a window on which to start it and they didn't. There were kind of these minor, non-traditional sports betting events in Delaware and Montana. But for the most part, it was basically just Las Vegas. You go to Las Vegas and you bet on sports. And then in 2018, the Supreme Court overturned PASPA. So that opened the door for sports betting to happen anywhere in the country. And New York, like a lot of states, had already kind of started this discussion back when they expanded gaming in New York. They authorized sports betting in that kind of in an indirect manner. But once PASP was overturned, now suddenly you could have all these different kinds of games. Right, with a big market like New York. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they had gone through the casino expansion phase. 
those casinos were now offering what you know we call class three gaming uh you know that's your slot machines and table games and things like that and suddenly now they could also offer sports betting provided that there were regulations in place we do like regulations yes we do <laughs> you also did give me an acronym a legal acronym i didn't know which was PASPA, and i do love a good legal acronym so thank you <laughs> All right. So 2018 is when the conversation sped up then because PASPA was overturned. So we had retail sports betting in some casinos in New York. Yeah. So in July 2019 was when the first retail sports books opened up in New York. So we have, you know, a couple of commercial casinos here. They were allowed to open their sports books. A lot of them partnered with entities that were kind of already in this space or in this newly expanded space, uh, you know, companies like FanDuel and DraftKings, which until PassBet had been overturned, were just in the interactive fantasy space. And suddenly now they're going into real money, real life sports betting. So they're entering into these markets. They were partnering with casinos here in New York. And then also the, the tribal gaming operations were allowed to also conduct sports betting, but it was all based in the various casinos. You had to go to the casino walk up to a window, tell them what you wanted to bet, or a lot of them use kiosks too. So you go up and it's like ordering at McDonald's. You pick what (laughs) you want in your value meal, and then you print out the ticket and go and pay for it. (laughs) That's an easy example for people to understand. (laughs) I think in New York, because we have one of the triple crown races in the state and Saratoga, it was always horse racing. That was the betting that happened in New York before all of this moved forward. But again, you had to go to the track. Yeah. In addition to that, New York had at some point, I'm not sure the year, but they had created this video lottery terminal model. So, so if you go down to, you know, Hamburg fairgrounds, you see what looks like a slot machine. It's not really a slot machine. It is what we call a video lottery terminal. It is based on prior lottery results. So effectively a randomized selection of prior lottery results that dictates what appears on the screen of the VLT and says whether you won or not. Wow. All right. So yeah, so we've had that. We've had paramutual horse racing in New York, lottery, bingo. But that's really, you know, kind of what the limitations of gambling in New York. And a big part of that is our state constitution had prohibited gambling altogether. And then as time went on, they would amend it to allow for one thing, amended to allow for the lottery, then amended to allow for the commercial casinos, then amended to allow for sports betting. Instead of just tossing out the entire general prohibition on gambling. This is how we've chosen to go about doing it. Yes, it's a little bit piecemeal and and slow, but yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense. So these are all highly regulated, as you mentioned. So what agency oversees in particular when we're talking about online sports betting? So it's the New York State Gaming Commission, and they oversee all the things that we just talked about. Back in, I want to say 2013, they merged the entity that oversaw and regulated horse racing as well as the New York Lottery they merged those two entities together to create the New York State Gaming Commission. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that recently, really. Yeah. Yeah. It had previously been two different entities and now, now it's just one and they have a board, they have a commissioner. Yeah. They govern everything. And the commissioner is probably a political appointment, I would guess. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, he's a very good guy. Rob Williams is a very, oh, yes. good, no, very no. good head of the commission. I, uh, <laughs> I worked for a bunch of years with a lot of political appointees, maybe in politics. So yes, I'm, that's never meant to be anything other than just a... Right. <laughs> All right. So this retail sports betting, casinos are in New York, and now we're talking about online or mobile betting, and that's starting to take shape. So 
Was it after the overturn of PASBO where this really became part of the conversation in New York State? It was really before that. A lot of the mobile gaming conversation you know, was not necessarily just tied to PASPA. The challenge to PASPA was led by New Jersey, which wanted to expand not just into sports betting, but they wanted to expand their general gaming. And so they were allowing online, you know, real money casino gaming before PASPA was even overturned. So you had this idea of expanding gaming into the mobile space long before PASP was overturned. The PASPA piece, though, just applied to sports betting. And it just seemed like a lot of states could wrap their heads around allowing betting on sports where they couldn't really get their heads around allowing mobile betting, you know, playing slot machines from your couch. And the, the stigma that gambling has didn't really necessarily carry over into sports betting the way that it does into other forms. This may have something to do with people who have squares for Super Bowl parties and things like mm-hmm. that. The sports betting is just sort of a, a thing people talk about. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, everybody fills out a bracket for March Madness, right? Right. And that's not necessarily gambling, but it's something that everybody really understands. And most people participate in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I bet there's potential that New Jersey didn't really expect their big neighbor next door in New York to want to get involved in this, <laughs> but we can talk about that a little bit <laughs> later on. So April of 2021, just a few months ago, is when the agreement was struck by the then governor and the New York state legislature. So was that fairly simple negotiation to move this forward? Not at all. The, the story of sports betting in New York since 2018 has, has been one of fits and starts. There was a time where Governor Cuomo actually came out and said, I think that you can't have mobile sports betting unless we have another constitutional amendment. Now, obviously, he backed down off of that. When we get to COVID, we get a big budget deficit and we got to figure out how to raise money. Then suddenly sports betting is a really good avenue for us. But there's been some good advocates in the legislature over the years. Joe Adabo in the Senate, Gary Pretlow in the Assembly, they've been kind of really pushing this for a while. And when it came down to the negotiation, their idea of how sports betting would be conducted in New York versus the governor's idea were very different. You asked if it's a simple negotiation. It absolutely was not. <laughs> I, I ha- as someone who worked in Albany for a few years, I just had to ask it that way because I've never seen a simple negotiation there. But Yeah, yeah. It, it started as, you know, standalone bills. And the proposal put forward by the legislature would have given to what we call skins to each one of the casinos, the tribal casinos, as well as the commercial casinos. And they could choose to partner with a company to run sports betting for them on one of those skins or run their own sports book on one of those skins or both. The governor, on the other hand, wanted the state to select one operator for sports betting. And that one operator would be the only company that could operate mobile sports betting in New York. So obviously very different proposals. I wouldn't quite say that they landed in the middle, but it seemed like it from what I read. It was a negotiated position. <laughs> Fair enough. And if anyone is looking for the bill on that, there isn't a separate bill. It really became part of the New York State budget process, didn't it? Correct. Yeah. It, it got wrapped into the budget process, like seemingly a lot of things do in New York. Yes. And that's a longstanding tradition as well. <laughs> so recently, the Gaming Commission, you talked about those skins and the way someone's going to win that is by a bid process, right? That's how a business will become the operator. And those bids were just sort of released to the public in a way. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So the, the way that the bill actually came out, it's not one operator. There are, the bill provides for two, what they call platform providers and up to four basically skins, branded sports books in the mobile space. And so people were bidding to be a platform provider and also in their bids, including who the operators of those skins would be. Now the bill also provided that that could expand, but it would be a minimum of two platform providers in, in four branded operations. So that's the the bid process was surprising in a, in a sense because the people who were the applicants who were submitting these bids ended up kind of banding together in a lot of instances yeah. to create a situation where we're likely not to see only two platform providers and we're likely not to see only four branded operations for mobile sports betting. It seems like they sort of form these consortiums to put in their bids as groups. Yeah, yeah. In the initial written questions and answers that the Gaming Commission was putting out, they were really focused on collusive bidding. They were worried that a bunch of competitors were going to get together and agree to submit separate applications to keep the tax rate as low as possible. And I don't think anybody really expected that you'd have these competitors who are not just going to be competitors in New York, but are currently competing in different states Absolutely. and different markets all over the country to say, okay, well, we're all going to get together and, and submit this one bid package to open up the whole market to all of us. Yeah, it, it was very interesting. I hadn't realized that until I was preparing to talk to you today. And I saw names that I've seen separately joined together in these. And it's an interesting approach to it. Yeah, yeah. So I, just to clarify for anyone who's listening, that means that you can't just go start your own mobile sports betting app and start using it in New York State, right? That's This is very regulated. Correct. Yeah. There are a lot of states that, like New York, either restrict the number of licenses or, as was the case with the proposal by Adabo and Pretlo, to tie it to only the brick and mortar casinos in the state. Um, I don't know that there's anywhere that really you can you can just go and start your own mobile sports betting app and and push it out and, and have bet, you know people bet money at least legally. Yes, that, that, I like that. us to have a couple <laughs> service moments where we remind people that there are Yeah, moments. yeah. Don't do that anywhere <laughs> yes, in the United exactly. States. <laughs> I think that's a, a very <laughs> wise piece of advice. But everyone is carrying around a mobile phone, so a computer at the ready. When this comes to play, this online sports betting, will New Yorkers likely be able to bet from their phones? Yes, and that's the big goal. That's both the goal of the state because you need a lot of people to bet a lot of money in order to generate the kind of taxes that they're projecting. The tax revenue to the state is really kind of important, both from a sense of making sure that the regulators have enough money to watch and, and regulate these activities, but also to fill the budget shortfalls that we have in this state. And from the operator's perspective, it's really difficult, especially in a state like New York, where our casinos are located, to force people to drive to that casino in order to bet. In-play betting is a huge component of this mobile sports betting. And if you have to sit in the casino and watch the game and watch, you know, kind of live in-play bets come up to jump up out of your seat, run to the window and place one of those in-play bets, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so mobile sports betting is the future and the goal here. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It, it creates a different experience for the better. So uh, just to clarify too, will this betting only be legal for those 21 and older in New York? Yes, the 21. That and do you have a sense, like, will that be on the operators to monitor that? So you verified that somehow? Yeah, so the, the operators are going to have to have an entire know your customer process built into their application. And the regulators 
before they approve these mobile platforms for use in New York, are going to check all this stuff. So in addition to kind of knowing who the person placing the bet is, that they're over 21, where they live, making sure they're not on kind of any excluded gaming lists. So there are people who either by volunteering themselves for this or by some kind of other judgment have been banned from gambling. And so you need to make sure that they're not on one of those lists. You also need to make sure that they're in the state of New York. There's still a concern here because gambling is not allowed everywhere. And when we're talking about mobile gambling, there is a geolocation feature that has to be in these apps to make sure that the person is in a place where it's allowed. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I watch, you know, Knicks games. And since there's a big New Jersey audience, I see ads for mobile betting. But you and it says must be in the state of New Jersey. So that'll be the same case as we go forward with this. This seems like very big business potential for a lot of revenues and then a lot of taxes. Can you tell us maybe what some of the concerns are or some of the, the things these businesses will have to be on the lookout for? The big ones are what we just talked about, making sure that, that you know who your customer is, that you you know, know that they're in the state of New York. A lot of time and money is spent when launching or preparing to launch one of these applications and getting those things right. When I was in-house, I participated in doing this in the state of West Virginia. And if you've ever seen a map, the state of West Virginia is not exactly a square, right? So <laughs> pin, pinpointing where a person is in that area can be difficult, but there is a lot of money, a lot of time spent on making sure that that works and that the regulator is comfortable with what you've done there. So you have an international border too. Yeah. With New York, we absolutely do. There are certainly concerns with respect to somebody being even on the water in Lake Erie. So, you know, right. where does where does the border of New York stop? And if you look at the map, the border of New York doesn't necessarily just stop at the coast of Lake Erie. And the so Thousand it, Islands, like all the way, like Erie yeah. to Ontario up to the Thousand Islands. It's very dicey. It's all water. And if you've ever been up to the Thousand Islands, you know, the cell service isn't great. No, it's so definitely figuring, not. Figuring out how to work that feature in when you don't have a great cell service is definitely one of the concerns. Um, from the operator's perspective, too, one of the big things that they spend a lot of attention to is how you put money into your digital wallet and how you receive your winnings. So, you know, again, going back to kind of the model now where you walk into a casino to place a bet, you also walk into that casino to get your winnings. But if you have somebody betting from their couch, how are they funding that account? And then if they're funding that account with a credit card, there are concerns with problem gambling. And there's a variety of different things out there. There are still kind of some online payment providers who aren't necessarily comfortable with this. PayPal is coming around. Obviously, everybody knows PayPal. A lot of people yes. have a PayPal account. And if that if that's one of the things that's, that's available to fund your account, it's a little bit easy. But if you have to get somebody comfortable with a payment provider or a payment gateway that they don't necessarily know or that they you have to download a new app or sign up for a new service, getting them to come to your mobile sports book is going to be a little bit more difficult. I think that just means our cyber and data privacy people are doing their job, making people a little leery of new things. That's Absolutely. (laughs) So it seems like there's potential to spawn some other business growth as well, whether it's other entertainment and hospitality venues. You know, people might be doing this from their home, but we tend to be social people, particularly after this last year and a half. So people may be doing parties and ordering a lot of catering. It seems like there could be other businesses that grow from this. We mentioned the super bit of competitors getting together and submitting the application to New York. 
some of the entities that were also mentioned in that bid were the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Sabres, the Yankees. So you could see kind of these lounges set up in the stadia where somebody can go and sit, watch, you know, not just the game that's going on in the stadium, but other games and place bets. There's obviously a you know food and drink element there. And Buffalo Wild Wings and, and restaurants like that are gonna start to kind of Buffalo Wild Wings already has, but like delve into these kind of areas where they have an experience that is complemented by the sports betting that's available. You also have affiliate marketing deals that could pop up. So if I'm a business that is unconnected from gambling altogether, but I have a big digital customer database, you've seen this with athletic apparel companies getting into kind of this kind of area. I know that my customer base is interested in sports because I sell them athletic apparel that's branded with teams from across the various leagues. And I have a huge database of their contact information. And so, you know, provided that I've gotten the right permissions, again, go talk to our data security people and and analyze your privacy policy. But provided that you've gotten the right permissions from those people to share their contact information with your affiliates, you can turn to a DraftKings or a FanDuel and say, hey, do you want to market your sports betting app to these people? We know that they're interested in sports. Right. And, you know, there's, of course, a, a payment to be made there or a payment. Yes, to be I would think. A transaction. Um, if, you're, if you're providing that, that information to them. So, you know, th- those kind of things, too, is something that is going to generate more business out of this mobile sports betting. Yeah, and I, I would guess once you're into playoffs, right, you would know who's been buying the Bills gear. Um, since they'll definitely be in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I, I say that I'm I actually, because now I, I work here, I have to say it. I'm, <laughs> um, just kidding. But, you know, then you can look for, make deals where like, once we get to playoffs, I'll focus you this information because these people are going to be more interested because they always buy gear for this team. So there's a lot right. of different things they can right. select that. Spending patterns will kind of portray a various you know, a level of disposable income. And if somebody spends a lot on buying playoff gear, they might spend a little bit more on, on, on gambling too. Right. Yeah. And there's a, a lot of ways I, that I'm sure those relationships will grow. So you mentioned this before, but it's the motivator of why a state moves forward in this in a lot of ways. And that's the tax revenue that can be generated. There is a bit of a line, right? Because you don't want to so overtax that it's not valuable investment for businesses. But I assume this isn't only going to be highly regulated, but taxed as well. Yeah. So, you know, when the the legislation was actually you know put into effect and, and the bidding process started, you know, the state has basically said, don't bother bidding below 50% tax rate. And, you know, that is high. A lot of people have pointed to New Hampshire, which is that monopoly model, you know, thankfully New York veered away from, but, you know, they, New Hampshire provided to the sports betting operator, a monopoly of mobile sports betting in exchange for 51% of the, the revenue tax rate. You know, in New York, it's seeming like, you know, these bids did come through and nobody is below 50%. So it's going to be a lot of money, a a lot of tax dollars. You know, when Cuomo was first pitching the monopoly model, he was throwing out figures for tax revenue that all the people in the industry and and commentators were saying, there's there's no possible way you, you can get to that much tax revenue with this model you're talking about. And even though it's slightly adjusted with what was actually passed, the revenue projections according to the operators who themselves are bidding, are actually going to hit those projections that we all kind of panned at the time and and probably exceed them. So you are talking north of 500 million or billion dollars in tax revenue once the market is matured. Wow, that's that's intense. Uh, That is, (laughs) um, I I can see why the state 
was focused on this. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of money for schools and roads and other things in between. I assume either in the legislation or required in the bids is some type of funding then to assist with gambling addiction and those issues? Yeah, that's in the bill. That there was a couple different features that that provided for where this tax money is going to go. You know, a good chunk of it's just going to go into you know kind of the general tax pool. But you know, there are certainly uh, measures in place for to address problem gaming. There's also you know proposals in the draft bills. I'm not sure if it made it into the into the final budget bill, but to direct some of the tax money to support youth sports programs, which okay. I thought was you know was a great measure too. Not only obviously you don't tell children that, hey, this money comes from gaming and gaming is really good. But, you know, to to support the programs that, you know, kind of feed into the sports environment is a good thing in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think we usually tell the kids where the money comes from from or anything anyway. So, but you're (laughs) right, like to give kids that outlet and especially after these sort of this COVID time to get them back out on fields. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Was New York looking to lessons learned from other states or what did we do this very New York and just kind of it's a little bit of both. You know, I mentioned New Hampshire earlier, and, and, and that's kind of what the governor was looking at at first. And, and a lot of people see New Hampshire as an unsuccessful mobile sports betting environment. But we have borrowed certain concepts from other states. But in true New York fashion, you know, as you kind of mentioned, we basically kind of carved our own way and said, this is how we're going to do it because we think it's right. Yeah, that makes perfect <laughs> from all I've seen. <laughs> all right. Well, so there's a lot that goes into setting this up. The bids are now in and public. When do you anticipate online sports betting might be live in New York? So, you know, based on the timelines that were set forth in the law for the submission, you know, well, first the release of the RFA from the Gaming Commission, the submission of bids, the, the examination of those bids, if the timelines are kept, then you could see a late 2021 launch, provided that all the operators are, are ready to go as soon as, as soon as things are approved. I think it's more likely that you're looking at a Q1 2022 launch. I mean, the Gaming Commission has been delayed in, in each step of this process. So I don't really see it happening kind of immediately upon the passing of each one of these deadlines. Well, I think that, you know, it's a new industry, so a little delay is probably Mm -hmm. expected. But also, did the COVID pandemic stall the process at all, or did it move it faster? I think it moved it a little bit faster. You know, again, the journey of mobile sports betting in New York has been one of fits and starts. But once, you know, the COVID pandemic hit and you did see not just the state, but localities having these huge budget shortfalls, you start to look for easy tax dollars. And, you know, mobile sports betting, which had been kind of churning in the legislature and being talked about by the governor, was an easy one to bring in and say, hey, this this could be something that solves our budget shortfall in the same way that, you know, the legalization of marijuana would do. Right. Another highly regulated industry yeah. uh, that yeah. we've, we're going to keep talking about both of these, I think, for, for a long time to come. Do you anticipate that New York will become one of the largest markets for this online betting in the U.S.? Before the bids came in and we saw kind of who was involved, I think there was some skepticism that the market was going to be as big as it was, because if you have a very limited number of operators, the people, at least the smart bettors or the people who are betting large amounts of money are really shopping around for the best odds or the best lines. The, you know, they're not necessarily looking for promotional dollars to be thrown at them. They're looking for where's the smartest place to put my money. And in a limited competitive environment, you're not really getting those things. Now that we know that there is going to be 
a lot of competitors, well, hopefully, you know, you've been given kind of the bids that came in, there's going to be a lot of competitors in this market. I think you'll see a lot of those people who might have otherwise gone outside of New York, even though it's legal in New York, keep their money here. And, and it should be kind of one of the bigger markets in the country, certainly one of the biggest that's that's currently legal. Right. Well, that, it's going to be interesting to watch this uh, develop. I have to say, I feel like I can't watch a sporting event now without an ad for mobile sports betting. So I assume there'll be an uptick of those in all New York sports regions since I root for some New York teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the football season's upon us and, and the NFL just released another batch of gaming partners that they're allowing to, you know, use certain of the NFL's intellectual property or, you know, kind of tag themselves as an official partner of the NFL. And, you know, all the leagues are doing this. And now you have gaming strewn across stadiums because the individual teams can also partner with with gaming partners. That's going to be very interesting. So we'll have to invite you back to have another conversation as this unfolds. I really thank you for joining us today, Jeff. It was great to talk this through with you and to get your um, wisdom on the topic. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking about the implications to New York and for joining us. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is attorney advertising. Thank you.